Today's reading is Colossians 2, verses 6 through 23. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations uh, that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to a cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are the shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human conditions, commands, and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed wisdom, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This is God's word. Uh, Good morning again. Let's pray together as we begin. Almighty God, you are a perfect father to your children. Therefore, you tell us what we need to know. You delight us with how good you are, with the wonders of what you've done. And you warn us that there are those who would distract us, lead us astray, do us no good. Help us this morning as we come to one of those passages, one of warning, to hear it rightly, understand it rightly, but above all, therefore, to cling to Christ and love him. Amen. Now, who wants to be kidnapped? Who wants to be kidnapped? But that's the sort of sense of chapter 2, verse 8 we have in our passage. See to it that no one takes you captive. Don't be kidnapped. That's the sort of thing parents would warn their children of. Not everyone is nice. There are some people who will um, offer nice things, sweets, whatever it may be, 
but they don't have your best intentions. But the children are distracted. It looks so good over there. Don't be kidnapped. Or um, even as adults, kidnap and ransom is a massive industry. It's worth billions uh, uh, around the globe. And if you are, for some reason, going on a sailing trip near to Somalia, you'd probably be warned. There are pirates. Just don't be kidnapped. Or a certain type of businessman uh, in Colombia. Just when you're going out there, be warned. Don't get kidnapped. And you'll be given sort of precautions that you're meant to take. And of course, no one really enjoys those warnings. No child ever sits down and says, oh, I love it when you tell me about people who want to kidnap me. That's my favourite bit of uh, being your kid. And no one about to go overseas on business says, well, yes, I'm going away for the next week. I've got plenty of time. Why don't you sit me down for a day and tell me what I should do just in case I'm kidnapped? No one embraces those things. But they are for our good. And here, this section of this letter uh, to the Colossians, this, uh, as we've just had it uh, kindly read by Adrian, is a warning. It's a big polemic uh, in the letter. And I guess most of us, or not many of us, would wander in and think, oh, brilliant, I love those bits of the Bible which warn us that there are people out there who aren't very good. That's great. Those are my favourite bits. Not many of us instinctively feel that way, I know. But it is for our good. And when we encounter anything along these lines, of course, we'll be delighted that we were warned. Now, the situation here is, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, uh, and clearly there are some who have come in, and false teachers, whatever you might want to call them, but they are distracting the church. They're taking them away. They're offering a shortcut to maturity. Greater blessings, nice things, sweeties. And so the church there is being drawn after them. And for us here today, whether we call ourselves a Christian or not, there are very popular uh, spiritualities that will offer a shortcut to success, blessing. But they're not Christian. Or there may even be those who set themselves up as sort of pseudo-Christian ministers offering shortcuts to maturity, blessing, happiness, contentment. But Paul would want to warn us of them and say, look, not everything will do you good. Stick with Christ. He'll do you good. Make sure you understand that. So as he puts it, we've said before, if you've, uh, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 are a pretty good summary of the letter. So that just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. There are two elements to that sentence, just before we jump into the main bit. There are two elements there. One is a very personal way of putting it, and one is a more propositional way, but they're parallel. So Paul can say... Continue in him, rooted in him, personal. Cling to the man who is God, Jesus Christ, him. And at the same time, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, which has probably more propositional state or or, or emphasis to it. And genuine Christianity is very much both of those. It's personal and propositional. 
So you, you will meet some Christians who, who say things, I guess, along the lines of, I believe in the incarnation, I believe in the resurrection, and that's all very well and good. I believe in justification by faith, good. But it just seems a little bit academic, and nothing more than that. And where, what about, I believe in Jesus? I know him. Of course, on the other hand, there are those who will say, oh, well, I, I believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus. Who cares about the details? Who cares what happened on the cross? As long as we say, I love Jesus, all is well, isn't it? Do you love Jesus? I love Jesus. Um, I've got a bumper sticker that says, I love Jesus. So it must be true. And the detail doesn't matter. Whereas a genuine Christian faith is both of those. And we get that. It's true of any relationship. I love my wife. What's her name? I don't know. What is she like? I don't know. Where was she born? I don't know. What's her family? I don't know, but I love her. Do you love her? We can all love her. Um, you know, it's one sense very affectionate, but it's vacuous. Whereas, you know, you to reel off various statistics about birthday, birthplace, uh, weight, overseas travel. Do you ever speak to your wife? No. No. But I know precisely what she weighed back in 1984. Well... We get that. So Paul says, look, continue in him, in the truths that you were taught. There is no other Jesus Christ apart from the one that he has revealed here in the scriptures. We need both of those. How do you continue with him? A deeply personal relationship with Jesus as he's revealed himself. Not just one you might make up. One little clue, you know you've got this right, I guess, would be the end of verse 7. You're overflowing with thankfulness. That characterizes your life. Now, as I said, uh, this section, verses 8 to 23, the, the polemic of the letter. So, so there are three kind of parallel phrases that come up. Um, so you get uh, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive. Verse 16, do not let anyone judge you. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility disqualify you. Don't be captured, don't be judged, don't be disqualified. Watch out. Don't be kidnapped. There are nasty people out there who want you and your money. Don't watch out. That's what he's saying. I think it works a bit like this. The verse 8 is the headline. Then verses 9 to 15, Paul says, don't be kidnapped. Verses 9 to 15, Jesus is very wonderful. And you have everything you need in him. Second half, 16 to 23, don't go there. Don't go there. He is great. Don't go there are the two halves. Let's take them in turn. First then, uh, verses 8 to 15. You are full in Christ. You are full in Christ. So first of all, this emphasis, you're united to him. Do you see this language of in him, with him, comes up uh, all the time in this little section. So verse 10, uh, you've been given fullness in Christ. Verse 11, in him, you were circumcised, comes to that. Verse 12, you've been buried with him. Verse 13, you've made, been made alive with him. In him, with him, with him, with him, in him. The fundamental to Christian truth is that if you're a Christian, you are united to Jesus Christ. And spiritually speaking, his experience is yours. Or you could think of it this way. There's a sense in which a Christian is like a child inside a womb. Because whatever happens to mum as she's carrying baby along happens to baby. So if mum goes shopping, so does baby. If mum gets on a plane, so does baby. If mum visits 
China, so does baby. It happens to them. Now, imagine baby's born and years later, age 18, baby says, I, well, it's not really baby, is he? But anyway, um, it's one of those families, they still call him baby, even though he's 18, and he's a bit embarrassed about that, but not to worry. Baby says, age 18, oh, I, you know, I've never been to China, I'd love to go to China. And mum says, you have. You went in me. You've been there. Yeah, that's true in a manner of speaking. That's not a perfect illustration. Don't push it too hard. But there is that sense that a Christian is united to the experience of Jesus Christ. Elsewhere, the Bible would compare this union of, of Christ and his people to a vine and the branches that come out or to uh, a body with Jesus as the head or to the relationship between a husband and a wife. They're united. All the time emphasising this sharing, this intimacy between the two. So verses 9 and 10 are an extraordinary little statement, really. Verse 9, how much of God has Jesus got? Verse 9, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Okay. So if I'm united to Jesus, how much have I got? Verse 10, you've been given fullness in Christ. You've got everything you need. Or a couple marry and they set up one bank account. Just the one, no hidden extras on the side. Uh, there's one bank account, no little slush fund for naughty things. No, it's just, it's just one, I'm afraid. One bank account the husband and wife have. Now the husband's parents die and he inherits from his parents 100 million pounds. Which goes into the bank account. How much money does she have access to? All of it. All of it. They own it together. The fullness belongs. Now again, it's not a perfect illustration, but Paul is saying here in verses 9 and 10, Jesus has got everything. He's got the fullness of the deity. You have fullness in him. You've got everything you need. There is nothing lacking. You're united to him. As he goes on in this description, verse uh, 11, curious expression, in him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not literally, so not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. I think he's there just talking about conversion. It's a strange way of putting it. But I think he's saying you were converted. How? How did this inward change take place? Or verse 12, you were buried with him in baptism, raised with him through your faith in the power of God. So there's, again, another picture, but there's a sense in which Jesus Christ is, you know, the electricity mains, and here we are, a little, uh, a little TV or stereo, and the power is useless to us until we're connected. You plug into the power, the TV works. But until that happens, there's just a lot of potential. The TV sits there, pretty blank. Nothing's happening until it's plugged in. So Paul says here, when, verse 12, through your faith, you trust what God has done, your faith in the power of God, you unite yourself to the experience of Jesus Christ, which is, verse 12, you're buried with him and you're raised with him. Baptism is a good symbol of that. You go down into water, you come out again. 
you're spiritually united. His death and resurrection are true of you, spiritually speaking. So what? What does that mean? Well, he expands on that in verses 13 to 15. And that means you're forgiven in him. Verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ, literally by forgiving us all our sins. Okay. That little drama, that little kid slot we had earlier, do you remember that? You and I are guilty. The written code stands against us. And therefore, spiritually, we are dead, lifeless, blank TV, nothing going on. Jesus takes the code, the penalty which stands against us, takes it, nails it to the cross. There's nothing against us now. We're not guilty anymore. And so we can be made alive with him. That's true of us when, by faith, we trust that he took penalty that is ours. And you get this strange description, verse 14, Jesus, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us, stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, nasty spiritual powers, devil, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I think Paul's point here is, it's complicated language in one sense, but on the other hand, it's very simple. There's no secret here. Maybe in Colossae these false teachers are saying there's a, there's a sort of secret route to really getting the Christian life. There's a secret route to maturity. You know, some societies have a little secret handshake, don't they, a little? And uh, you know, you have to know the little secrets in order to join, or the wink at some point. It's not like that with Christianity. Anyone can know what Jesus Christ has done. He's taken penalty that is due for you. You just need to unite yourself to him, plug into him, put your faith in him. And that death and resurrection that he's died is true for you. You've died the penalty, died for the penalty. You raised a new spiritual life. You, you don't need to do anything else. Everything you need for eternal life, for growth in the Christian life now, you've got it. You're not lacking anything. You have every spiritual blessing that you need. Suppose he's just trying to bang this point home from a number of angles. You're full in Christ, verses 8 to 15. You're full. You lack nothing. You have everything. You're united to Jesus Christ, who is fully God, who has died, who has risen. Spiritually, that is true of you. Physically, you will die and rise again because you're united to him. It can't but happen. It'll happen. You've got everything you need. You're full in Christ. So therefore, the second half, verses 16 to 23, therefore, don't be deceived by man-made religion. Don't be deceived. Now, it's slightly tricky to pin down precisely what was being taught in Colossae, but in one sense that helps us because the applications are more general. There's at least these two sort of things happening. So uh, don't be judged by rules and don't be disqualified by mystics. At least these two are taking place. Let's have a little look at them. Verse 16, 17, don't be judged by rules. 
He put it this way, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Well, you think, well, no one's doing that, I think. I'm not aware of that. It sounds like the Colossians are being ticked off for two things, eating and drinking naughty stuff and, uh, uh, secondly, failing to observe certain festivals. Tangent. Paul is not advocating binge-eating and binge drinking and never ever going to church. Just to be clear with you, he's not saying that. Because elsewhere he'd encourage self-discipline. Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, it leads to debauchery. Or 1 Corinthians 9, he encourages the sort of disciplined, self-controlled life. Many, many places. The issue here is he says don't be judged by people who are adding veneer and veneer of rule onto the Christian life and saying, you'll only really grow, you'll only really be mature, you'll only really know Christ's blessing if you add certain rules and regulations on. This is a sad illustration. Uh, I think it was last year, I can't quite remember. Um, Every year in September, uh, there's... The universities have their different freshers' fairs, and uh, so Simon Pedley, as a student minister, will go with a little gang from church and have his stall, you know, which is rah-rah, Christchurch, we're very nice. And, you know, there are lots of stalls, he's there between the Tiddlywink Society, the Chess Society, the Doctor Who Society, or whatever it is, they're all there uh, in a row. And uh, you see, chat to people, you've arrived at university, would you like to come and join? It's been very nice, super time. Uh, everyone gives out sweets, and, you know, the people who give out the most sweets, you join their society, it works a bit like that. There was a, so he was there with Christchurch. A few stools down was another church in central London. And Simon and the others worked out that the other church were telling everyone who went by, we are the only moral church in London. Every other church, they're immoral and their behaviour is a disgrace. Now, Simon is a very nice, gentle, polite man. So he wandered over and said, I wonder if you mind. Actually, I work for a church, Christchurch Mayfair. I don't think we are immoral. I think your comments are a bit naughty, to put it mildly. He was told, you should resign and come to our church. Your church is immoral, you're immoral, you need to come to our church, otherwise nothing will ever work very well. Now, that's pretty full on, isn't it? We're the only church and you have to obey our rules or you're basically a disgrace and you'll never grow up as Christians. That's pretty full on. I was intrigued. I had a little look at their website. It was interesting. Um, not least of which, travel links. Okay, let's have travel. It is ungodly and immoral to use the tube on a Sunday, apart from to come to our church. <laughs> okay, okay. I've got a feeling you may be tying yourself in one or two knots uh, at this point. But some will be like that. You may not meet them, but just watch out for those who are insisting these are the rules you must keep if you're going to grow as a Christian and will judge you if you do much less than them. Do you see the difference? Paul elsewhere, don't get drunk, don't don't live an ill-disciplined life, be self-controlled, but watch out for those who are insisting upon, and particularly Old Testament laws which would have been translated differently by Jesus Christ. Or as he puts it, verse 17, some of these uh, uh, regulations are a shadow of the things that are to come. 
The reality is found in Christ. Uh, yesterday the sun shone, did you notice? It was lovely, just before it hailed. Um, but uh, if you're there in the park or outside and the sun is shone, you have a choice. You're there with a friend, you can speak to them, you can speak to their shadow. You speak to them, why would you not? Their shadow is less engaging and disappears quite quickly uh, in a January day. The reality is here. So it looks like there's a group saying, these Old Testament laws, you need to keep them literally in precisely the same way for maturity. Watch out for that. Don't let people judge you in that way. That's one half of the mistake. And the other half, verses 18 and 19, disqualified by mystics. So verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the price. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen. His unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. So here are people who have a false humility and talk about angelic experiences. Now what is their authority? What do they want to speak about? It's really about what they've seen. So verse 18, we're told, they go into great detail about what they've seen, their experiences. I don't know if you've ever been to a church or a conference where essentially the speaker is just one anecdote after another about what has happened to them, and they say, and go and do likewise. And so the bloke will stand up and say, well, God said to me one day, move to Moscow, and I did. And he blessed me. And God said to me one day, marry Marge, and I did. And he blessed me. And one, God say, one day God said to me, uh, make up a ministry off the top of your head, and I did. And he's blessed me, now give me your money. And it works a little bit like that sometimes. Or far more, perhaps, mundanely, I... I listened to a chap the other day. Was, I mean, I think he's very well-intentioned, but said the other day I was floating in the bath. I don't think he literally, you know. But I was floating in the bath, and God overwhelmed me and told me what to do with, you know, that he loved me. And you should all go and do likewise. And I don't know if everyone ran home and filled up their baths, and if they've only got a shower in central London, what do you then do? Um... You're, you know, you're in trouble. I don't know, but, but that sort of projection, here was my experience, it was wonderful, I'm an enormous success, God has blessed me, go and do likewise. I think that's the sort of thing that Paul is talking you about. Verse 18, they go into great detail about what they've seen. Sadly, they've just become proud, his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. It's an enormous contrast with Paul. So here are people who say, yeah, I saw amazing things, I tell you, God has taught me extraordinary things, and you can have these same experiences. Whereas the Paul would say, I will go into the detail. I mean, 2 Corinthians 12 is the most striking place. Yeah, I went to heaven, I was taken up to heaven, I'm telling you what I saw, it doesn't really matter. Um, let me tell you about how weak and feeble I am. It's a slightly different way. I'm weak and feeble, God is strong. That's what you need to know. So be wary, Paul would say, of those who boast about how impressive God has made them, how straightforward and easy the Christian life is, how you can go from one degree of blessing to another and money and your path is being smooth. Just, just watch out. And the warning gets very serious in verse 19. This sort of person, verse 19, they speak of themselves, they promise new experiences, but they're cut off from Christ. Very striking, verse 19. He has lost connection with the head, that's Jesus, 
from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Now at that point, this is very serious. Do you see there are some who will uh, advocate certain religious regulations, certain visionary experiences, but they're not Christians. They may have been once upon a time, but they're now, they've lost connection with Christ. They're not united to him. So with no pleasure whatsoever, can I, just so we've got it, can I say to one and all this morning, there are those who will set them up as spiritual teachers, they'll set themselves up as Christian teachers, and they're not. And they'll promise you the earth. And they'll say, have visions like I've had visions, Uh, obey all these sort of regulations, and you'll grow. It's not Christian. Stick with Jesus Christ as he's revealed in the word of God, is Paul's comment. Now, I take it, I don't know about the situation in Colossae, but the one or two characters you meet today, these are very well-intentioned people. They do mostly, they're not like kidnappers who are doing it to try and exploit and make money. More often than not, people are well-intentioned. They, we're told, have the appearance of wisdom. They sound comforting. It's very striking, I think. So verse 20, since you uh, died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Here we go, verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body. It'll look good. It'll sound comforting. I read this week, to be overcritical, I read this week about one thing. Uh, apparently the I Am book is a very popular book uh, in the States. A very popular sort of, uh, guy sets himself up as a minister and has written it. Uh, and as far as I can tell, the logic is you, you stand up every morning, look in the mirror and say, I am strong. I am confident. I am creative. I am talented. I am handsome, beautiful, delete as a principle. I am wise. I am. And you just pronounce a load of I ams over you. Now, one says that might be comforting. Sounds a bit cheesy to me. I'd sort of get the giggles halfway through. But also, more to the point, I think if you're the Apostle Paul, you look in the mirror and you say, I am weak. But Jesus Christ is strong, and he gives me all that I need, which is very different. You see, uh, verse 23, do these ways, do these regulations, do these visions, do these experiences, are they useful? Are they going to help you grow in the Christian life? Are they going to help you grow as a human being? Verse 23, such regulations, no, 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 they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Have these new practices helped anyone restrain ungodly passions? No. Have these mystical experiences, these visions, led to higher experience of God? No. You lose touch with him. Paul says, you have all you need in Jesus Christ. You've got everything you need. Does that mean that it never gets any better than this until we get to heaven? No, he doesn't say that. He says you can grow. You can mature in the Christian faith, and we get to that next week. 
Or as we began in chapter 2, verse 6, 7, you can be rooted, less blown around by the circumstances of life. You can be built up in him. You can be strengthened in the faith, more confident when you speak to others, more confident even when life is harsh. You can grow in your thankfulness so that it more naturally overflows. Oh, you can grow this side, of course, but how do you do so? You continue in Christ. You continue in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. You know him as you know the truths about him. But you've got to have them both. Don't just know truth. Know him through the truth. It is much like being in a relationship of love because that's what it is. Your spouse, your sibling, your brothers, whoever it may be, you know them, you enjoy them because you know stuff about them as well. So continue in Christ. What do you do with something like this? Chapter 2, verses 8 to 23, you watch out. Don't be judged. But you do that by, I think you just go back to the earlier, perhaps most of all, chapter 1, 15 to 23. Remember how good Jesus Christ is. This is his world. And you're with him. Dwell on him. Grow in him. Love him. Don't go elsewhere. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you're kind enough to warn us. And uh, fortunately, we don't have to examine the motives of those who set themselves up as teachers and do push over harsh regulations, visionary experiences as the way to growth in Jesus Christ. We know that some of those are probably well-intentioned, even though some are uh, perhaps in it just for the money. Father, we don't have to judge them, but we thank you for the warning that the way forward in the Christian life is to... Cling to Jesus Christ as he's revealed in the scriptures. The way to begin the Christian life is to put our faith in him as he's revealed himself here in the scriptures. So would we be those who know about him in order that we know him, love him, grow in him? Are those who are overflowing with thankfulness because we know that we're united to him and he is good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.